Hello, this is Clyde J. Kale, and welcome to the Old Time Radio Gems Podcast, featuring rare, unique radio programs from Radio's Golden Pass. Hello, this is Clyde J.K.L. with a brief reminder. Mystery Play Internet Radio is listener-supported, so I encourage your monetary support with a donation today. Please visit www.mpir-otr.com and click on the donations page. A one-time donation of any amount will be greatly appreciated. Again, that's www.mpir-otr.com. And thank you for listening to Mystery Play Internet Radio. And now, The World of Jazz, with your host, John Wilson. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to hear the first of two programs on a swing-era band that cared enough to be different, the Bob Crosby Band. One way in which the Crosby Band was different was that it believed in and practiced the basic New Orleans jazz styles at a time when most of its contemporaries were following the swing band pattern set by Benny Goodman. The Crosby Band was different, too, because the various small groups that were drawn from the band were just as important to the success of the organization as a whole as the big band was, and maybe even a little bit more important. We'll get to those small groups next week. Tonight, we're going to concentrate on the big band. It took a little while for the band's musical personality to be expressed on records. In its first year as a recording group, the Crosby Band produced almost nothing but ordinary commercial tunes. The first real indication on records of the band's individuality came in April 1936 when it recorded a blues written by four members of the band, Bob Haggart, Gil Roden, Nappy Lamar, and Matty Matlock, Dixieland Shuffle.
one of the unusual things about the Bob Crosby band was that Crosby himself had nothing to do with organizing it. He was, if anything, an afterthought. The band had originally been Ben Pollock's orchestra. When Pollock went into temporary retirement in 1934, the band stayed together as a cooperative under the musical direction of Gil Roden, one of the saxophonists. The members of the band felt that they needed somebody to act as a front man, and after considering several possibilities, they chose Bob Crosby, who was then singing with the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra. When Crosby first joined the band, he was simply the most junior member of the cooperative. Policy was in the hands of the older members, most of whom had a leaning toward New Orleans-oriented jazz, such as Paul Barbarin's tune, Come Back, Sweet Papa. Before the Bob Crosby band picked up Come Back Sweet Papa, this tune was known best through Louis Armstrong's recording of it. The Bob Crosby band drew on the whole range of New Orleans jazz, from the Paul Barbarin composition popularized by Louis Armstrong, which we just heard, to a piece from the repertory of the original Dixieland Jazz Band at the Jazz Band Ball.
one of the attractive aspects of the Bob Crosby band was its willingness to be venturesome. Dixieland was supposed to be played by small groups, six or seven men. Theoretically, big bands couldn't play Dixieland, but as we've just heard, the Crosby band managed to do a pretty good job. What's more, it could turn some unexpected tunes into Dixieland. The old spinning wheel, for example, which was a sentimental thing until the Crosby band got hold of it. Spinning Wheel wasn't the only sentimental song that was enlivened by the Bob Crosby band. Back in 1937, Rudy Valley popularized an Italian song called Vieni Vieni, which suited his crooning style very well. The Crosby band saw it differently, however. They left out the crooning and attacked it head on. <laughs>
first thing that made the Crosby band stand out from its contemporaries in the swing era was that it played Dixieland, big band Dixieland. And once that had been established, the Crosby men began to look into other aspects of jazz that the routine swing bands were not bothering about. One thing they dug up was something that was not yet particularly well known in the middle 1930s, the swinging form of gospel song which the Golden Gate Quartet was soon to popularize. Even before the Golden Gates became famous, Bob Haggart, the Crosby bassist, had arranged a gospel song for the full Crosby band, I'm Praying Humble. By 1938, the seeds of the boogie-woogie fad were being sown. That was the year when Mead Lux Lewis, Albert Ammons, and Pete Johnson were brought to New York. And that was the year when the Bob Crosby Band made the first big band boogie-woogie record. 
an arrangement of Mead Lux Lewis's tribute to Jimmy Yancey, which features the piano of Bob Zerke, Yancey Special. The most famous piece created within the Bob Crosby Band and the arrangement that epitomizes the lively way this big band could play a basic jazz style was South Rampart Street Parade. It's easily the most popular piece that has been added to the Dixieland repertory in the past 35 years. And except for Paul Barbarin's Bourbon Street Parade, it's practically the only new piece that has been taken up by traditional bands since 1930. It was written by Bob Haggart and Ray Baduke with an assist from Crosby. Except for Eddie Miller's low-register clarinet solo, this is played in typical New Orleans style 
as an ensemble piece. Bob Crosby Band strutting its stuff in the South Rampart Street Parade. Next week, we're going to look at the other half of the Bob Crosby Band, the small groups that were drawn out of it. We'll hear the famous Bobcats, as well as various foursomes and twosomes, plus a visit with Bob Crosby's brother, Bing. Until then, this is John Wilson saying good night. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.